Hello and welcome to Angular Air Star Wars episode. This is Jeff Welpley or Kylo Ren, your host. I'm here today with special guest Kyle Newman. Say hi, Kyle. Hello, everybody. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Also, special guest Randall Kutnick. Kutnick. <laughs> and our panelist, regular panelist Patrick J.S. Hey guys. So, for our new guests, Kyle, why don't you give a quick introduction to yourself? Well, I'm a, a lifelong friend of you, Jeff. We grew up in the same town. Um, played a lot of role-playing games together, comic books, Boy Scouts, soccer. Little uh, New Jersey connection there, going back several decades. Um, right now, I'm a filmmaker living in Los Angeles, and direct. Um, feature films and uh, music videos. Just did one this year for Taylor Swift and directed some of Taylor Swift's uh, world tour. Um, had a film come out this year too called Barely Lethal with Samuel L. Jackson and Haley Steinfeld and Jessica Alba and Sophie Turner from Game of Thrones. It's like an action high school comedy. Um, do a little bit of everything. Yeah, I have, I have a podcast which actually just launched yesterday on Howl.fm2 called The Franchise. We break down movie franchises and we started with the greatest franchise of, of all time, Star Wars. So the whole season's dedicated to Star Wars. It's one episode. We start with the State of the Union, and then each subsequent episode is one film. But we look at the film through the eyes of The Force Awakens. So it's after you see The Force Awakens, you'll kind of it's a good time to tune in and look at how each movie's changed the other one that's always happened with the with the saga. But now, how is The Force Awakens changing the other six? That's awesome. Yeah, and I guess uh, the only thing that you didn't mention as well that is that your uh, wife, Jamie King, was actually on um, the Star Wars The Clone Wars as well, right? Yeah, she was on The Clone Wars. She plays uh, several cool characters, or Singh, the bounty hunter, and she also plays um, in season six on Netflix. Um, she plays the Force priestesses who train Yoda how to become one with the Force. So she's the one who trained Qui-Gon how to speak from the dead, and she's also the one who trains ultimately Yoda and Obi-Wan how to become Force ghosts. So that's pretty cool, and that's official canon. Uh, that's the, that the last George Lucas Star Wars out there, you know? That's awesome. All right, and uh, Randall, why don't you give a little bit of uh, your background? So, uh, I am a uh, web developer with a bit of a Star Wars habit. Um, so uh, I work at Norse Corporation, and if you go to map.norsecorp.com, you'll see about as close as you can get to Star Wars and still be in real life. Um, we do a lot of uh, security stuff, which is, you know, fancy and all that. That's cool. So I, I noticed that you have uh, some of the action figures, uh, Star Wars stuff in front of you. Do uh, you want to give us a rundown of what you have there? All right, and this is primarily Mike's fault, Mike, who just joined us. Um, oh. These, <laughs> these, uh, this is my fleet for uh, Star Wars Armada, um, which is not just a thing you can put on your desk and have people give you strange looks over. Oh, you can do that. A, a, it, well, I definitely do that, um, but it's, it's a real fully playable uh, tabletop war game, so you can see on the bases, I don't know how well you can see, actual um, dice you roll and have big fleet battles, and that is really my favorite part of Star Wars, has been um, space, and, and just giant battles in space, and so it's a lot of fun just being able to, every Sunday, um, get together and uh, play with this, and duke it out. 
Well, so just so I understand, uh, when you say play, you mean like, like what do you guys? Are you playing a role-playing game, or what are you guys doing with uh, the figures? It's, it's a, a yeah. It's a yeah. It's a fleet battle game where one or well, both players basically pick starships, upgrade cards, and squadrons to take basically in a small armada. Um, one player and another bring these two forces together on a 6 by 3 play space, and um, depending on who's first or who's second, an objective is picked to change the setup conditions and special scoring conditions, and then they have it out for about two hours. Okay, cool. And Mike, while, while you're talking, why don't you give an introduction to yourself as well? Oh, okay. Well, I'm Mike Patak, um, graphic designer in the Bay Area, um, Star Wars enthusiast, game player, <laughs> um, artist, um, guy looking for work. <laughs> okay, cool. So, we have a fun show planned for today. We're going to talk a lot about Star Wars. We're not going to talk about any spoilers. Um, one thing I wanted to get started with is something that you started to mention, Kyle, and maybe you want to get into is uh, that confuses, I think, people that are more casual observers is, you know, the canon versus extended universe. Like, what does that even mean? Like, what is canon and oh, what is the... Uh, they, about a year ago, they blew it all up. So, um, it, it, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, there's a lot of books which kept Star Wars alive, most notably Heir to the Empire trilogy uh, that really jump-started things in the early 90s and I think gave Lucasfilm an indication that there was a lot more you know, gas in the engine of this Star Wars machine that George had kind of hopped off of to raise a family. And publishing really kept Star Wars alive, and then games and comics, and then Hasbro Kenner toys, but it was really the publishing that that uh, started this new era that built up towards the special editions and the prequels. And um, the books were hit or miss. I've read about 90-something percent of them, 95% of them, maybe missed some of the young adult stuff. So I've read everything, the good and the bad. And... Um, <laughs> It's, it's something that they inevitably had to do because when you're bringing on some of the, the biggest names in entertainment and screenwriters like Lawrence Kasdan, you can't say, hey, now you have to go back and do what R.A. Salvatore did in Vector... You know what I mean? Like, right. you can't do this because this was established and there's 19 books about Han Solo's daughter and son and... <laughs> you just can't do that. And also... Um, it, it, they weren't unified and each one was kind of retconned and explaining and making making excuses for the other one's existence and it got very bloated and so they blew it all up and uh, kept a, a very clean slate. But what they've done is, is since then incorporate some of these um, the highlights, so this or the, this, the hits uh, from the EU into both uh, Rebels some stuff from West End Games has trickled into the Rebel show and we used to play West End Games um, Oh man And I'm trying to remember what and some things that were mentioned on screen but never seen end up in Rebels. Um, but things from the books are definitely showing up in other, you know, filmic Star Wars formats. I'm sure there's going to be more so as they move forward into both live-action series and additional animated series and subsequent Clone Wars stuff, and Re I mean, Rebel stuff. But uh, there's a new EU, which is about eight books deep, and I was really hoping that this EU would... this Well, not even an EU, it's canon. So everything they're putting out now, be it a Marvel comic, be it a book, or a movie, or a TV show, it's canon. And um, so they have a unified storyline, or at least they have the opportunity for one, but they're still making a lot of missteps. Um, at one point in this new book, Luke talks about this pop song he heard by this band called... Um, 
Hazel Draslip and the Tootle Fruits. And it was called <laughs> and it's called Darth Vader's Many Prosthetic Parts. And apparently it made Darth Vader so angry that he banished the pop singer to this to the spice mines of Kessel for slave labor. And Luke is bonded with the daughter. And it's dreadful. It's so dreadful. And this was like an opportunity <laughs> to really remove the dreadful from canon. The fact that the average citizen knows that Darth Vader is an is made up of android parts and it's just ridiculous. So there's some missteps, and I'm hoping they get their uh, stuff together moving forward. Okay, so they had uh, a couple missteps with some of, some of the stuff that they're putting out there now, and obviously some would argue that the first three movies were missteps. So we'll we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But they I'm would curious. Also be wrong. <laughs> what was that, Kyle? They would also be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. I, I know you have some strong feelings on that. Um, but Randall, I'm curious whether you think that there's anything that they left out of canon that should yes. have been brought in. What do you? What do you? Yes. Think? Go for Where's it. Where's Tilly? He's using both. Um, he, yeah, he kind of gets this like little cameo role in in, in two of the the major new new canon books. <coughs> but my favorite series by far um, was the X-wing books, and it was the the exploits of of White Antilles and and Rogue Squadron. Uh, after the movies and what and what kind of crazy problems they got themselves into and managed to extricate them themselves from. And I would like to point out that he's the only one who survived both Death Star runs and he's not force sensitive. So the the other two, Cam Farlander and Luke Skywalker that survived Death Star one were force sensitive. So we managed to pull that out. And he's such a great character and we're not even going to get to see him in Force Awakens because Dennis Lawson decided well, to they invited him back. They invited him no. to Force Awakens. He said he was too busy. What? That's well. the kind of guy you kill in the crawl, then. If somebody says they're too busy because they're doing, like, subpar Scottish theater and they're too busy to come back to the biggest franchise of all time to put them on the map. I think he didn't want to come back for anything less than, you know, something other than standing around and talking. Because that's what the impression I got. Well, he could have done what he did in the other films, which was, maybe know, they Well, maybe they didn't put him in an wing because they didn't want him... Uh, they, they wanted to elevate Poe Daramon. They didn't want him to be... You know, outshone by some veteran from the 30 years ago war. So, if Poe Daramon, I'm saying, with Poe Daramon is the star X-wing player, then they can't have him be upstaged by Wedge. So, they probably would have stuck Wedge in the briefing room with Leia, from what we see in the trailers. Well, there may be some, you know, like, there's opportunity, you'll see, I've seen the film, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there are classic characters that do more than just stand in the briefing room, you know? So, there's opportunity, they could have done stuff. Yeah, that's just my thought on why yeah. Wedge didn't come back, wasn't interested in coming back. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, though, uh, there, I mean, maybe not that particular character, but maybe some of the other characters that haven't, shown up yet that were in some of the books and whatnot may appear in either comic books or something else in the future. So it's not like they're totally banished, right? Well, Thrawn is a notable admission. Grand Admiral Thrawn from... Uh, He's a great character. Yeah. yeah. And Wedge, Wedge was in their new... Um, he kind of kicks off the Aftermath book. Yeah, he's still there. Yeah, he's just was another subpar entry into the official canon. When you compare that book to what kickstarted all an uh, Air of the Empire, the magic and the adventure and the scope of that, and then you compare it to what they've replaced it with, in a sense, Aftermath as the story after Return of the Jedi, it's a little depressing. But at least Wedge is in it. 
<laughs> I felt Aftermath really was um, pressured for time. Like, I, I didn't think the story was bad. I didn't think that the characters weren't lifelike enough. I just felt that it could have used, you know, another editing pass or two to kind of tighten everything together, especially the first act. Just the writing seemed rushed. Like, and you're just trying to put stuff on paper. Yeah. The sequel's coming out in, like, three months. So they're really rushing this series. Yeah. Have so, to make up for the vacuum left behind by the expanded universe. Yeah. But, you know, I see Marvel also doing things far too quickly. Feels like uh, in three years they're going to burn out every character and storyline. Everybody's already gotten their own series, every major character. They've already got all the heroes on the cover of the comic book all holding lightsabers. You've got, like, Chewbacca with a lightsaber. They've done everything, and it's already they've only had it, like, a year. It's they got to slow down, you know what I mean? That There's no need to accelerate these plot lines and these characters to just burn them out. you got to, like, take a beat and really plot good stories. Strike while the iron is hot, I guess. Yeah, but Star Wars Iron's proven to be hot for 38 years, and I don't think it's going anywhere. We're entering like the most, you know, uh, rich time for Star Wars. We've got six movies in the next five years, um, a theme park opening, Star Wars show on television, a live action show coming. Disney just dropped four billion plus on it. I don't think they're gonna um, let this thing die down in the next 10 years. I mean, so they should be looking at like a 15 year cycle here, and then maybe mothballing it like they always do, and then. <laughs> gone away for four years and then announcing more. So, what do you guys think about Disney taking over? You know, it was one thing that my brother Jim, in particular, my brother Jim and his kids are like the biggest Star Wars fans as well, and uh, he was so angry just at like the thought of it, uh, you know, the, of Disney just ruining Star Wars even more maybe than it, it has been and that type of thing. Do you think that um, they've been doing a good jo- job so far? Do you think that it, it was a good move overall? Me? Or who? Yeah. I kind of think so. It's, it's, yeah, it's I kind think of it's a, a great move. It's kind of a double-edged thing, right? Because, you know, look at what Star Wars was doing before Disney acquired it. And, you know, they were going, they were set to do what? There was a parody show, actually, set, they were set to do. Um, detours. On, in the style of, yeah, Detours, in, in the style of uh, Robot Chicken. You know, and that's like the newest Star Wars production, right? Or, you know, more TV shows based on the Clone Wars and the prequels, right? Um, but then Disney comes along, and now there's this new energy that's been pumped into Star Wars, and you got to wonder if that's because of Disney's handling of the whole thing, right? Disney's been handling the Marvel franchise pretty well. Um, <laughs> so, you know, taking that same approach for the Star Wars universe has given it new life. You know, it's just life under Disney. Disney is obsessed with branded character. Disney has the best, most iconic branded characters in history, and they've always looked longingly at Star Wars from afar. They've been trying to get involved in Star Wars since the beginning. That's why they did, like, Star Tours in the park. That's why they um, they pursued other theme park rides. That's why there's Indiana Jones in the parks. Uh, when the opportunity came up to buy Star Wars, it was kind of a no-brainer because they already have this affiliation. They did were doing Star Wars weekends and... Um, anything they could do to incorporate Disney and Star Wars and get their characters in the lexicon of Disney would be would be huge. Um, Disney also is really had proven themselves with both Pixar and um, Marvel, as you said, Michael. And I think um, George is also a lifelong Disney fan. He was at Disneyland the day it opened, or the second day it opened. I mean, he's obsessed with Disneyland. So for him, that's like. 
that's like his Star Wars calling and saying, hey, we want to take over your thing. So who's he going to give it to? Fox, who can't even put good special effects into their films? Or is he going to go to Disney, who's the ultimate family brand, who's already proven themselves over all these like last 25 years with the theme park presence? And, you know, Disney also, what they did with Rebels, I think they tightened the noose a little too much, but they had great creative people, and they showed them, like, they proved themselves, and now they're getting a little more freedom. And I think after this film, they'll give Lucasfilm a lot more freedom. they say, okay, we just want to watch your back on this one, but now it's going to be a success, and fans like it, and hopefully, you know. Um, it'll give Lucasfilm the freedom to just go make the best movies and not worry about chasing the marketplace, which is... That's why this film is so critical, because if it doesn't, if it isn't received well, if it doesn't do well, that means Disney will suddenly, could suddenly turn it into, you know, how they manufacture Divergence and those type of other yeah. uh, franchises. I hope not. That would, that would be a worst case scenario for me. I, not I do not like that. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, the, uh, they're not. It's already a success when you look at the pre-orders just alone. Hmm. Like, oh, yeah, not. that's what I mean. They're not going <laughs> to. And that's what's great. So you know they're going to be a company that does. The, they're going to do what they did with Marvel, which is let guys like Kevin Feige steer the ship and let them plot it out and let them hire their people and and let them manage the projects and they're going to distribute. And I we know, know Joss Whedon is is doing the Avengers, um, and so he's he's already working with Disney on these big budget projects. So it would be nice. We're going to get Wash back as a pilot and, and Rogue One, and. Uh, I would like to see Whedon's take on Star Wars. I do think uh, that the, you mentioned Rebels. I, mean, I, I do think that the second season of Rebels is better, in my opinion, than the first season. If you haven't checked it out yet, you definitely should. Um, it's a pretty good series. Um, now yeah. I want to I, I get into the prequels. So this is kind of a, you know, I, I've been watching a ton of stuff on YouTube of um, just uh, fan-made stuff. and. You know, one of the, one of the big things out there, if you guys haven't seen it, is uh, there's a number of people that have done this thing of like what the prequels should have been. Like they they like redid the entire movie or like changed a bunch of stuff the way they they felt that the movie should have gone. So I, I feel like there is this uh, a majority of people that uh, don't think that George did a good job with the prequels. Uh, I know I, Kyle, I want to leave you to the end for this. I, I want to get uh, Randall and. Mike's first, because uh, I know you have a lot of strong opinions. So, so Randall, what, do you, what are your thoughts on the prequels? Uh, I think that they tried to make Star Wars something that wasn't Star Wars. Uh, I, I am a lover of all things science fiction, save, you know, tween age dystopia. But, and so I like, and in my mind, what, what's, what science fiction does is ask a question about the future. What, what's going to happen in the future? And sometimes it'll really, you know, hard questions to ask. You look at 2001 A Space Odyssey. What happens if computers can make decisions on their own that might endanger human life? What happens? Uh, and Star Wars, the question is, what if we had giant spaceships and laser swords and explosions and space fighters? And the answer is, it would be awesome. <laughs> and to me, that's what Star Wars is about. Um, and the, the prequels had some of that. And, and you watch the fan edits like you're talking about. But they cut out all this extra stuff that, that Lucas threw in. That just kind of was like the, um, the 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 lead rod you put into a nuclear reactor to slow down the reaction. It's not it's not fun anymore. You still have all the parts to make it fun, but 
they just kind of miss stuff on. That's something Marvel and Marvel and Disney does very well. They manage this. It's superhero. It's fun. I want to watch it because it's fun and I enjoy it, not not because you know watching the, the worst love scene ever. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what do you think about the prequels? Um, well, I've always approached Star Wars as the you know as a, as escapist entertainment, right? I'm a bit I'm a big sci-fi nerd, but I watch science fiction to get into the story and the adventure and stuff, right? Um, so in a way, the prequels kind of put a break on the action that you're used to out of a Star Wars title. There was something I read a while ago about like it was George Lucas and I think one of the other producers behind Star Wars. Um, and they had a difference of opinion of what made Star Wars great. Um, Lucas was all for the special effects, and the other producer was more for the story. I'm sorry, I forget his name. Um, but, you know, as we know, Lucas went on to make the prequels, and that had more of a special effects focus, rather, and, you know, not so great on the story. And that's where ultimately what happened, right? Fans didn't like the special... They didn't come for the special effects. They also came for the story, which... You know, kind of fell flat. Um, you know, otherwise, in terms of how I rank the sequels, you know, they're obviously not my favorite. I grew up with um, the original trilogy, so that's more what I'm after. Um, but I don't think Episode One is as bad as the other two. I think, and that might be because Liam Neeson was kind of carrying it. Um, and that yeah, and Ian McGregor, so it was yeah. At least yeah, those out, yeah. But um, I think Hayden Christensen's acting was what really killed two and three, and like the whole focus on these shadowy politics, which isn't really what you get into Star Wars for. You know, you get into Star Wars for the Force, lightsabers, good versus evil, uh, yeah, stormtroopers missing, and you know, giant space battles and stuff. You don't get into it for these convoluted shadowy politics that happened in uh, in the prequels, you know, especially with 2 and 3. So... Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, Kyle, why should I not hate the prequels? Um, <laughs> well, a lot, there's, there's a lot of things with the prequels. There's context, there's you have a 16-year gap, and everyone had all this time to imagine what they thought the movies would be. And so that expectation, um, everyone's own version is always going to be better um, than what the man who created it and spent his own money on on the greatest independent film saga of all time. We're 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 going to tell him what's what's Star Wars and what's not. Um, it's mildly arrogant. I also think it's it's self centered for us to all assume that Star Wars are going to grow up with us. Matrix came out that summer and everyone was like, "Oh, why can't he do moves like Neo?" It's like you can also shut up because that's not Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars is objective myth. I mean, he's not telling it with a lot of POVs and handheld cameras. It's a certain storytelling style that we wanted it to aid with our maturity as an audience. Star Wars got us into movies, and suddenly we were cooler than Star Wars, and now we judged it. That said, there's flaws with the with the prequels for sure. I mean, you could give me two days, and I could uh, cut out five minutes out of each of those films and probably jump them 20% up on the Rotten Tomatoes meter. It's really simple fixes, but those are the things that made it personal to George. And he's the main guy. He's the storyteller. It came out of his head. If you, if you read Star Wars A New Hope, the novelization... The prologue, it's a paragraph long. It's about politics. It's about how the, how the Republic and its politicians, it all decayed from within. And they mentioned the Journal of the Wills. and um, It is about politics. It's just he chose to tell episode four, five, and six, which were the revolutionary part of the story, when it was at, the, the galaxy was at its most dire time and it was the simplest, most cost-effective story, and then go backwards and tell the backstory. 
Um, so there's room for all of it. So I don't think Star Wars has to be put into that narrow spectrum where it can't have politics. But I do agree that that's one of those things that alienated people. Um, I do think Star Wars, though, uh, mythologically, um, you can't deny the prequels because what it did was enhance the saga. You have uh, this virgin birth, this balance of the Force prophecy. It gives the original trilogy another context to look at it through, that they're not necessarily Darth Vader's films. He's not starring in them, but they're Darth Vader's story, and you can't help but look at those movies again in a different way. Um, and I think each Star Wars film modified the ones that came before it. Like, when you find out that Darth Vader, spoiler alert, is Luke's father, um, you go back and look at A New Hope differently. Like, like Obi-Wan lied to us? Obi-Wan, you bastard! You know, and you look at it differently. And then when you find out Leia is the sister in Return of the Jedi, you go back and you look at A New Hope and Empire differently. And now when you go watch the prequels, you're going to go look at the original trilogy differently. You're going to go, wait a second, like... Vader, you're looking... Return of the Jedi suddenly becomes the boldest film of all time, I think, because he took the greatest cinematic villain and humanized him by the end of that movie. And then he said, I'm going to... We already had the greatest villain of all time. Now I'm going to make somebody even scarier and more nefarious and malicious. And he creates the Emperor. Do you think a studio, you think Disney would let him go make that movie now? You think they'd say, you're not getting rid of our greatest villain of all time? So This is a franchise. These are the things that... Uh, the benefit of these being made independently. So the negatives of, of, of the prequels and Return of the Jedi, which people malign, I think are also the things that they give us these, these great original things. And um, I don't know going forward if eight, uh, 7, 8, and 9 are going to be as original. George was going back in time, and he's a very clean storyteller, and he's pulling things right out of uh, Japanese uh, samurai films, classic Arthurian legend, space opera serials like Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and pulpy influences and westerns and Lawrence of Arabia and you know just looking at the trailers and stuff they're great for Force Awakens but it looks like the only thing they're pulling from is old Star Wars movies and George in the prequels was still pulling from more than that so no matter what you say about them they're still technologically innovative films every movie he didn't say I'm just going to play it safe and make my money he pushed the boundaries of storytelling and everyone says you know, the, Force of, the Phantom Menace is all digital. Well, that was a selling point. The, Force of, the Phantom Menace has more practical model effects in it than any film in history times three. They sold it to us as digital effects because that was cool in 1999. Mm. And I bet when you go see The Force Awakens, you're going to realize that there are more digital effects in The Force Awakens than in any Star Wars movie ever. There's more CGI in that film than any Star Wars movie you've ever seen. They're selling it to you as there's more practical effects. So... What they are versus what they're selling them to you as are two different things. But I understand why people do not enjoy the prequels as much, but I think you cannot deny them on the Star Wars myth. If you want to read the best Star Wars story ever, it's Revenge of the Sith novelization is fantastic. Um, they have the time to really explore Anakin's fall to the dark side and how the Jedi and the Sith are pulling him in two different directions, and it's, it's and fantastic. And Christensen. And you don't have to look at Hayden Christensen if you don't like him. It's just a Star Wars story. Get the audiobook. It's read really, really well, formed well. Um, it's like 13 hours. It's the awesomest Star Wars story. So uh, look at the prequel in a different way. Yeah, it's funny you bring up the Matrix because I completely agree uh, that when when everyone was expecting more Star Wars and episode four, episode one to come out, and then we also got the Matrix, which I loved uh, when I was young. Um, just just this this fantastic again. 
And, and it was everything that Star Wars was. It was, you know, some relatively unknown director coming out with a mishmash of everything directors, uh, mishmash of everything that they really liked when they were young, uh, and put it together into this movie with special effects that we of a level we hadn't seen before. Absolutely. And it's funny watching The Matrix again uh, later on, and it really didn't age well, this, especially the special effects. Because when I look at special effects now, and CGI back in 1999 was... Well, let's admit it, pretty crummy uh, compared to, to what we can put together now. Phantom so, Menace holds up very well in terms of right. visual. Yeah. I mean, and it what looks I was going to go into is, is it actually um, Phantom Menace aged relatively well. I can go back and watch it again, and I'm not like, oh man, that's you can practically see the, you know, the pixel blur there. Yeah. I think like, Attack of the Clones is probably the weakest of the seven films. You know, I, I think Phantom Menace might be my favorite of the prequels. It's I've seen it a hundred times. It holds up really well. I think yeah. people that go back and watch them, a lot of people watch them as they came out and then dismiss them. But if you go back and watch them, in the way there's so many parallels, um, visual parallels, narrative, mythic parallels between what Luke goes through, what Anakin goes through, in the exact same moment, there's so many fascinating things too. Like in the prequels, the Sith always tell the truth. They tell the truth the whole time. In the original trilogy, the Jedi lie to get everything done. They tell Luke, your father's dead. They tell him he's got to go kill his father. That's the only way. Ultimately, Luke doesn't listen to Obi-Wan or Yoda. They were both wrong. Um, but the Sith just tell the truth. I mean, I think there's these fascinating parallels, the way that there's two Sith, and then it ends up with then there's there's two Jedi in the interim, you know, between four and between three and four, tasked with waiting it out, just like the Sith waited it out for their opportunity to come back. They're very well-plotted movies, but maybe um, I would have maybe cast Anakin to be 14 and stuck with the same actor through all three films yeah. as opposed to going with a nine-year-old and, and doing that. Um, I don't think the age difference between Natalie Portman and Jake Lloyd, it didn't help the story in any way to make them like six years apart or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so there's superficial things that I think just I'm like, why did he do that? Um, I don't like so, the... Like, or Lucas' director. Sorry. Uh, more Lucas's directing was, I guess, what turned people off to the prequels rather than the writing and the story, would you say? I do think it's a combination of both. Um, I, I think, he, you know, when you're making a movie and you have no one to say no to you or to no one to really question you, um, I think it's healthy in filmmaking to ha be challenged to make sure every decision is what it is rather than just saying you like it. You have to think of the audience, and he might not have had that uh, barometer and that challenging point on the prequels, because um, you easily could have cut three or four minutes out of those films and made them exponentially better. There's just little things, you know, and um, I didn't get to watch them yet, but I've heard there's some good buzz about, they're called the cheese edits. Have you heard about this? No. Some guy cut out... Um, he didn't savage the movies, but he turned Jar Jar into a uh, subtitled creature, and the Nemoidians speak another language, and they're subtitled. And suddenly, you feel differently about all this stuff. Hmm. Ultimately, though, it's John Williams' music and the sound design by Ben Burtt and, and Matthew Wood that really are the spine of these, the emotional spine of these films. Mm -hmm. So I, even if you don't like the Star Wars movie, there's still something amazing out of it. Like, I love those soundtracks. Um, oh, yeah. I may even like those soundtracks better than The Force Awakens. You know what I mean? It's like there's something iconic about some of those tracks in those films, like Duel of the Fates, and you got wonderful lightsaber battles, and 
great space battles, and there's still some fantastic scenes in those films, even if you don't love, love the films. As you mentioned Jar Jar, I, I was going to say that I, I can, I'm a huge you know, Star Wars fan, uh, fantasy fan in general, just like any fantasy books, like uh, comic book movies, anything like that. I, even uh, when it's a bad comic book movie, I usually still like it. The, old, the one and only thing I, I get bothered by in any of the Star Wars films is Jar Jar. And not just in um, The Phantom Menace, also in the, uh, I, I love the Clone Wars um, TV show. And, I, I mean, actually, the Clone Wars were so great. Like, so many episodes were really, really good. But then you have, like, this random Jar Jar episode in the middle where he's, like, bumbling <laughs> around and, like, knocking over, like, uh, Star Troopers. It's, like, totally out of, like, out of character of the, the theme or, like, the feel of the series. Um, I, I don't know. What do you guys think that uh, – is there, is there anyone, I guess, that, that here that actually doesn't mind Jar Jar as much? Well, between Jar Jar and Hayden Christensen's acting, I'd take well, direction, I suppose. I'd take Jar Jar, actually. Okay. <laughs> okay. If, it, if it comes down to having to watch either <clears throat> like the Anakin's dialogue in 2 or Jar Jar's antics in 1, I think I would rather take Jar Jar's antics in 1. Um, he's a gag character, but he uh, you know, he fell, fell flat. Well, fell the wrong direction, rather. Um, and they downplayed his character as, it, as they went along. So, what, so Mike, what do you, what do you think about the fact that uh, and this is, I mean, I said no spoilers. I don't know whether it's spoiler or not. I guess, but it's, it's uh, kind of well known that Hayden Christensen, that they are, I guess, trying to get him in episode two, like maybe flashbacks or who who knows what or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about the fact that he may actually be back? Well, what helps is um, Lucas isn't directing this time around. It's Abrams. Um, and I think I think a large, I mean, I, sure, I'm saying Hayden Christensen is acting, but it's also his. It's also the way he's directed as well. And I want to believe that under another director, uh, Hayden Christensen could be directed to not be as bad as he was in the prequels. I guess. So if he does come back, um, I'm not. I'm not going to say that all oh, the movie's terrible because Hayden Christensen's returned. I'm, you know, I'm willing to keep an open mind and just think that maybe he's going to be directed better and maybe given better dialogue too. I don't know. Yeah, he's not, he won't be carrying the film. I hear, here's the deal. It's essential that Hayden Christensen, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Yoda come back as spirits at some point. The last time we saw them was the end of Return of the Jedi. The, the last six films were sold to us as the Anakin Skywalker's Rise and Fall and Redemption. Um, it's the third act of Anakin's life. It's his opportunity to be a grandfather and the father he really wasn't. He doesn't have to be in it for more than a scene, just like Obi-Wan was in, say, Empire Strikes Back, um, or Yoda comes in briefly, you know, in you know, Return of the Jedi again. You could also have him sharing scenes with those three, like a spirit council. But um, to deny him being in the movie because we didn't like him under George's direction when it is his story, I mean, it's a Skywalker story. If it's got a Roman numeral, better have the Skywalkers, and this is George said recently. To understand Star Wars is to know that it's, it's a soap opera family drama. So you you have to have Grandpa Anakin back. You know, you have to have whoever it is. You gotta have Luke's in there. You gotta have him imbuing some knowledge under another generation. Like, he has to be present, even if it's for one scene, even if he's at odds with, with them, or even if it's Yoda doing most of the talking and he's standing there. He still has to have some presence in the direction of this uh, next trilogy. 
Yeah, and I mean, we, we saw in, in the teaser trailers, you know, the big thing was like finishing what you started. Uh, and, like, and then the melt the Darth Vader mask and Kylo Ren um, going through there. Yeah. So, so, so it's, it's, it's definitely not like... One of my worries early on was that they were going to dump everything. and they, I mean, they dumped most of the expanded universe. But the idea was just, just to be, all right, everyone gets to look at all your favorite heroes from before, and now we have the new Disney-branded heroes, and we're just going to focus on them from here on out. Uh, and that was a big worry of mine, because... Uh, the one thing I didn't like about the, the second teaser trailer was there's new X-Wings. I'm a purist. I love the X-Wing. They've got this new model, and, and I, I will be a stickler nerd about that one. I suppose, you know, 30 years they have to you know, advance on something. But, man, X-Wings. <laughs> so, so I'm glad that, that like, as, as time went on, we got closer and closer to the movie to, to see that it wasn't just, you know, we're, we're going to look at all our old heroes briefly and, and then move on. And so you're absolutely right that to bring in, kind of connect the whole of the whole, I guess, nine movies. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're getting near the end of our time, so I want to uh, start to wrap up. Just a quick announcement that uh, next week we are going to um, have on uh, Tuesday the oh, – now I'm, like, uh, off here a little bit. I, we're going to have another um, Angular Air with um, – Harry Lerner, uh, talking about his NG Book 2 and his Angular productivity tips. Uh, so let's get into the picks, and let's start off with my man, Patrick J.S. Oh, yeah. So my pick would be uh, Angular 2 Beta. That's released again. <laughs> um, yeah, and, of course, Star Wars uh, series. Cool. Randall. Uh, my pick is, you can get them at craft stores everywhere, uh, adhesive wiggly eyes. Uh, and so they're just this um, nice flat plastic. Let's see if I can get this open on camera. A uh, nice flat plastic thing. And they've got self-adhesive, so you don't need any glue or anything like that. This long sheet of wiggly eyes. And the advantage of that is you can keep them in your backpack, and then anytime you need to make something funny or humorous, you can then attach wiggly eyes to it, and all of a sudden you have... The silliest blockade runner of all time. <laughs> or Star a Wamuros depressed Imperial Star Destroyer. <laughs> nice. One way you can tell his stuff apart from everyone else's. So, and, and, and of course, you know, with the addition of pipe cleaners, things get even better. Oh. So. <laughs> nice, man. That's, That's nice my man. pick. <laughs> okay. Michael. Hmm? Uh, do you have any picks for us today? Uh kind of put on the spot here. Um, well, you can you can promote yourself, because I think you're oh. looking for a job, right? Oh, yes, yes. Um, yeah, uh, www.pilotillustration.com is my portfolio. Um, uh, I got training as a digital artist, and I love drawing sci-fi robots and stuff, so I got a small gallery of that up there. Um, also, any Homeworld fans out there, um, I am actually the guy responsible for the map of the Homeworld universe but in the time, the effort, and stuff, and wanted to make a map out of it. So that is also up there as well, um, along with some concept and development uh, maps that I worked on while I was making the Homeworld map. So, yep, pilotillustration.com, and I'm Norsound. Great. Thanks, Mike. Mm -hmm. uh, for my picks, I have two. Uh, the first one being Kyle's movie Fanboys. If you guys haven't seen that, uh, you definitely should check it out. I uh, love the movie. It's about... 
a bunch of Star Wars fans that wanted to see Episode One before it came out, and they raided George Lucas's campus uh, to try to get an early preview. It's uh, really funny. A lot of like actors that you will recognize, and uh, really funny guys. And the other one is um, one thing that was interesting. As I was kind of like preparing for this, I was uh, well thinking about all sorts of stuff, but. I remembered one thing that I had forgotten for a long time. I don't, Kyle, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the days when we were playing, you do, doing role-playing games, uh, at one point you and I talked about doing a comic book, like a you know, a, you know superhero comic book type, uh, you know, Star Wars yeah. type thing. And I had actually written out like five issues or so, like actually like did like the initial writing, and and you you were a, you know great artist, you know back back then. I don't know if you still uh, draw and that type of thing. And so uh, we were going to set it up so that you draw it, and then we're going to publish it and, and uh, make a million dollars and <laughs> live the high life. But uh, that didn't go anywhere. But I still have those drawings from that, uh, you know, when I initially wrote those out. So I'm going to, um, once I go back for Christmas to my mom's place, I'm going to get those from the basement, and uh, I'll post those somewhere. Show them to me first. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Well, how does this work? What am I picking? Well, you just promote. You can promote anything or just anything that you're interested in. What are you working on? Okay, I mentioned earlier I got this new podcast called The Franchise, and this whole season is just talking about Star Wars. If you like this type of Star Wars chat, you're probably going to like uh, coming to that. Topher Grace and my wife are on it, and also Ralph McQuarrie's uh, understudy, Paul Bateman, who's a great graphic and um, art director, concept artist. Um, and Jimmy Mack from Rebel Force Radio. There's a lot of great people on it this week. It's fun. Um, my film Barely Lethal is out, and I know you mentioned Fanboys. Thank you for uh, promoting that. Uh, One question Lethal. about Fanboys, though. Yeah. There's a deleted scene where they get to the security guard, and the security guard has six fingers on his right hand, and it's this, this brief, like, 45-second Princess Bride reference. That was the funniest part of the movie, and you deleted it. Why? I didn't want to delete it. They they were like, oh, we just got to get them in there, and they made me delete it. It was my favorite. I also love when they all sing the Ewok song. That's a deleted scene, I think. Is that in there? On the deleted scenes, or do we not? Oh, I remember. They all sing, like, Yub Nub. Yeah, that was a good part, too. But I think we couldn't get the rights to the publishing for Yub Nub, so we couldn't put it in the main film. Uh, and oh, here's my wife. Uh, hi, Jamie. How's it going? Good, how are you? How are you guys? Good, good. Whoa, there's a nice selection of fine-looking men here. <laughs> a bunch of dorks. <laughs> My favorite kind of men. So, Jamie, let, let me ask you a question while you're here. I, I know you obviously realized that uh, Kyle lo loved Star Wars when, when you met him, but did you understand the full depth of his geekiness? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course, that's why I love him. She's a Harry Potter fan. Oh, okay. Uh, I love Star Wars. My mom, my mom saw Star Wars like over and over and over again in the theater. She was obsessed with Star Wars. So I grew up with Star Wars. And I love anything that has to do with the imagination, anything that has to do with some, you know... Star Wars is a good spiritual core. And that's really important for me. There's something, there's something about Star Wars that is like truly untouchable. You know, that it's just really powerful. Well, and 38 years later, we're still here. Star Wars is the biggest thing in the world. Do you think Hunger Games, we're going to be talking about Hunger Games in 38 years? Are they going to be opening <laughs> Hunger Games in years from now? 
Annie Hall. Not. That'd be a terrible theme for us. <laughs> it was the Annie Hall celebration. You know what I mean? Nobody cares. Star Wars ultimately changed the way movies were made, merchandised, distributed, and talked about. And, and being a part about it, any and being a part of it in any way, shape, or form is like such an honor. Doing Clone Wars and doing all of those different voices, especially closing out all of Clone Wars, doing uh, playing the Force priestesses was. It was so bittersweet, you know, playing George's last real, um, uh, you know, Star Wars. And it's, and I thought, I had this feeling like it was the end then. And then seeing the film the other night at the premiere, and being at the premiere, all of a sudden it was like, oh my god, like there was like new breath, like new life again, you know what I mean? Because there was this deep sadness that it was like going to go away, and even though yeah. we knew that there were going to be more films, no one knew what that was going to look like, but then to find out that it was like one of our best friends involved in making it, and JJ making it, it was like really, that's when it got really exciting because we're like, okay, you know, now we'll, all, all of our children will be able to grow up with this legacy, and it's really exciting. That's awesome. Was there anything interesting that happened at the premiere that you guys went to the other night? No spoilers. Um, it was great. George was there. It was nice to see George. And He's wearing jeans. Talking. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Jeans okay. and a sweater. And he was very chill for this premiere. I got smashed between John Boyega and Steven Spielberg on the carpet, let me tell you. That was intense. Oh, my God. I got to meet John Williams. That was... Oh, uh, yeah. I asked, Frank Oz. I forced him to ask to, to get a picture with him. Okay. That's I was like, can you please? I was just using. I was literally using the, the my the they call it a handler, a person that helps you with PR. They bring you down because so you don't, because you get mobbed by the press. And so, um, I was just basically using her to get us selfies with every single person we wanted to talk to. I was like, maybe we could like talk to John Williams because you know, like, um, we'd really love a picture with them. And I was cool. like, no, 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 no. He doesn't want that. And then I was like, get John Williams right now. <laughs> No, it was cool. I mean, everybody was at the premiere. Everybody. Everybody. It was, it was like. Like, seeing behind us was like Matthew McConaughey he was like, and his kids. Star Wars premiere. He was, he was and there. then Jason Bateman. <laughs> it was just like every Star Wars lover was there, and there was three different. There were three different theaters, and it was. I was like. I was like, oh, I hope we don't get stuck like in the lane theater. And then I look like to my back behind me, and there's Matthew, and then there's John Favreau. John Favreau is like, in front, and then it's just like I'm like, oh my god, this is how many people just like everybody love Star Wars came out to see Star Wars. It was like everybody was there. I mean, it felt almost like a family. It almost felt like a family screening. It, it, believe it or not, as big as it was, there was a feeling about it. That made me feel like when I was there, I was staying with my family because um, anyone that loves Star Wars the way that we love Star Wars is our family, and that's like a bond that you just can't break because that's what Star Wars has done to us, what it's done for us. It's united us. It's allowed us to speak the same language and and live a certain kind of lifestyle of understanding. And you could call it geek, you could call it whatever, but I don't really think it's anything but understanding what great entertainment is and also like really understanding um, what it means to be a part of, of uh, a franchise and a group of people that really love and respect um, storytelling. And to me, that's a really cool thing to be a part of. That's awesome. I, actually, I thought it was funny that J.J. Um, Abrams was on, I forgot which talk show it was, one of the late night talk shows, and uh, he mentioned how what the type of pressure he was under because 
you know, everybody who talks to him is kind of like, you know, not not so subtly saying, okay, uh, this is great that you're doing this. Don't mess this up. Like this is this is <laughs> this is our thing. Okay, you you know not to mess this up. Yeah. yeah. So he yeah. knew that. He knew that going in, but he was well prepared. He asked. He was smart. He did his reconnaissance. Yeah. He. They. They also. We were part great, of the reconnaissance. They also really great people <laughs> like bringing back Lawrence Kasdan to write it, who wrote Empire and Jedi and. You know, even Raiders. I mean, they just brought great people into the mix, and they have all the special effects guys doing this film. They have obviously John Williams back. They have all the sound designers. Matthew back. Wood and like you know all of these guys that worked on you know the last three films. And, and they worked and, on special editions. They and Clone Wars and yeah. Rebels. Do you know so what I mean? they they live and breathe Star Wars. So it's all the same people making it. You know. And it was really exciting to see that part, like the real honoring of it, and it was almost like. You know, I think that it's the one time that a director of that stature is saying, you know, getting the getting the word, don't F it up. You know what I mean? I remember mm -hmm. when yeah. I did Pearl Harbor with Michael Bay, I said, hey, do you have any direction for me? He said, yeah, don't F it up. <laughs> and I was like, uh, because at that time it was the biggest movie ever made, you know, and it's so interesting to see that J.J. was under that kind of pressure, but you can tell when you meet this guy that he's the kind of guy that, that only knows how to work under that kind of pressure, and he thrives in it and flourishes in it, and I remember Kyle and I talking about, like, who else we thought would be great for it. We thought maybe, like, um, you know, David Yates, or um, like, even like Alfonso Cuaron, you know what I mean? Like, there are certain directors that would have been amazing and really kept the integrity of the film, but I thought J.J. just killed yeah. it, and the casting was so amazing. Like outside of J.J., I would only say David Yates, because he, he did great work on Harry Potter without making it about himself and his style. He just told a story, where some of these other filmmakers really have to like put them too much of their style in it. You know, Zack Snyder, even Chris Nolan, great filmmaker guys, but it'd be not Star Wars, it'd be one of their films. And you would know, because of their composition and the way that they shoot it, and the way that they carry it. And it, it all has to be too cerebral, or it has to, like, Guillermo would do with weird monsters with eyeballs on their hand. You know what I mean? <laughs> Only one yeah, way no, Guillermo would really take one of the side movies and just do a movie about Star Wars monsters. That'd be fantastic, but mm. not the seven. But Kyle, how come you turned it down? <laughs> <laughs> Well, great. Okay, Listen, I, I, I don't want to keep you. I, I really appreciate you coming on, Kyle. It's been awesome. I could actually talk to you for another, like, two hours about stores, and I'm probably going to leave here and go to stand in line to uh, watch it. Um, so thank you very much. We have our, like, 90 tickets. Oh, yeah. Love you guys. <laughs> nice. All right. See you later, guys. Everyone, have a good one. Force be with you. Uh, <laughs> yes. Indeed. Bye.